This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Good morning, I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Friday the 24th of June in your Squiz today, looking ahead to a week of summits, four months of war in Ukraine, the world's most livable cities, and lightsaber lessons. This is your Squiz today. It's a busy time to be a world leader with a flurry of summits kicking off over the coming days. There's Chogum in Rwanda, followed by the G7 in Germany, and then it's on to NATO in Madrid in Spain. We're going to get you across them in no time this morning. Claire, let's start with Chogum because it's probably the lesser known of the three. It's the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting. As it says, it's the leaders of those governments that are in the Commonwealth, um, as we are, uh, as the UK is, as so many others, there's actually 54 nations who are involved. This time around, there's about 34 leaders who are attending. Uh, Anthony Albanese, our Prime Minister, is one who is not going. That's raised a few eyebrows that quite a few leaders are missing this one, of course, because it's the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Prince Charles is head of the Commonwealth, which is like a patron sort of role. So he will be there with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Our representative is Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles. He says that he's really looking forward to a conversation about democratic values and human rights. Uh, Also, of course, climate change. It's on the agenda of most of these summits these days. Uh, And also talking about health systems because, of course, COVID is still a thing. It sure is. The meeting is also being seen as an opportunity to focus on Africa. So that's likely to be on the agenda as well. The G7 then kicks off on Sunday with NATO leaders then meeting from Wednesday. Ukraine is set to be a big topic at both. It sure is. Of course, those nations are involved in the G7. We're talking about Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK and the US are all very deeply involved with what's happening in Ukraine and pushing back against Russia there. The other thing that's on the G7 agenda is China and what they call their coercive economic practices. Uh, So it's not just the one issue for there. Uh, And when we head across to NATO, which of course is that military alliance that involves most of Western Europe and North America, uh, they are very firmly focused on what's happening in Ukraine. It's expected that a plan to expand NATO's forces in Eastern Europe will be approved. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is actually going to that one, as are representatives from Japan, South Korea and New Zealand. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky will virtually address both summits. Speaking of Ukraine, it's now been four months since Russia invaded. The fighting is heavy and intense in the eastern Donbass region, Claire, and Zelensky is calling for Western leaders to speed up the delivery of heavy artillery to his troops. He says that Russia is really close to taking control of most of the east of Ukraine. Uh, Of course, that's where Russia has been really focused when it comes to its aerial and its artillery strikes. Uh, What Zelensky says is that Russia's quest is to destroy the nation's eastern region. There has been a lot of focus on a couple of cities there, particularly Severodonetsk, coming under really extreme strikes. Uh, What the experts say is that they are the last holdouts 
when it comes to significant settlements in that part of the country. And if they're to fall, then it really does mean that Russia has control of the east. Before we move on from international news, Ukraine has also now been accepted as a candidate to join the European Union. There's a long way to go before that could actually happen, but experts say the candidacy itself signifies a big shift in European politics and it's something that would irritate Russian President Vladimir Putin. A new date has now been set for the trial of the man accused of raping former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins. The trial was, of course, meant to start on Monday, but was pushed back after the coverage of journalist Lisa Wilkinson's Logie's acceptance speech. Yeah, Bruce Lehrman's trial will start on the 4th of October. As you say, that trial was pushed back when Chief Justice Lucy McCallum earlier this week said uh, that because of Wilkinson's speech at the Logies, uh, because of an interview that she did after that and because of all of the attention on it, uh, she said that the line between untested allegations uh, and guilt had been obliterated. Uh, She said the coverage really did seem to assume that Lehrman was guilty and that was a problem when it came to appointing a jury for the trial that was set to start in a matter of days. Uh, What McCallum says is she thinks a three-month delay is enough time for that sentiment to wash through. Meanwhile, Lisa Wilkinson and her employer, Network 10, have been asked to refrain from making further public comments about the alleged rape or they could face contempt of court charges. A message now from our podcast partner, BHP. The steel made from iron ore plays an important role in providing the production of our energy infrastructure, from wind turbines to power poles. So cutting carbon emissions in iron ore production is key. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power its port facilities at Port Headland. It's happening now at BHP. In some lighter news now, the rankings of the world's most livable cities have been announced. Vienna, the capital of Austria, is sitting at number one, followed by Copenhagen, Zurich, Calgary and Vancouver. Australia's cities have all seen a slide down the rankings, Claire. Yeah, there was a time when Melbourne used to top this annual index, but uh, what has happened since 2017 is that it's remained in the top 10, but it hasn't got back to that top spot. This year, we're looking at 10th place for Melbourne. That's an equal placing with Japan's Osaka. Uh, And when you look at other cities around Australia, Sydney has dropped from 11th to 13th. Adelaide's dropped uh, from 2nd down to 30th place. Perth has fallen 26 spots to 32nd and Brisbane was dropped 17 spots to 27th. What that comes down to is the way our government handled COVID uh, and closing international borders. While we're talking about rankings, probably the very opposite end of the spectrum, the shortlist for Australia's worst big thing has been announced. They use a swear word for worst. We try not to swear here on the pod, so you can use your imagination. (laughs) We're nice ladies, aren't we, Claire? (laughs) For sure. (laughs) The contenders are the big potato in Robertson, the giant koala in Dadswell Bridge, the giant Captain James Cook statue in Mount Malloy in Queensland and the world's tallest bin in Kalgoorlie Boulder over in WA. So may (laughs) the best worst thing win. There's two things I'm outraged about in the news today and one is that a big potato could potentially be a bad thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dare we ask what the second thing is? We'll get to it, I think. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, because while we're on a roll with competitions, the top prize at the Westminster Dog Show has been won by Trumpet. He's a bloodhound. He's the first of his breed to take the competition's top award. But I'm guessing you've got issues with this, Claire? Trumpet looks very sad. So I think that's a bit of a problem. Uh, what the judges say, though, is that he best represented the ideal traits of his breed uh, when it comes to measuring up on that kind of scale against all the other breeds. Uh, Winston, the French bulldog, came second. That's an absolute <laughs> outrage. If you have a look at the picture of Winston, he is an absolute beauty. And the fact that you have a French bulldog of your own called Tucker is not influencing this assessment at all? Nothing to do with it. I'm completely <laughs> impartial. We do say we're agenda-free here at the Squid, so we'll, <laughs> we'll keep running that line. Of course, there is a gallery. I'll put links to all of these stories in your episode notes if you want to check them out. Happy Friday, Claire. It means happy recipe recommendation day. You've given me a total blast of nostalgia with this week's. Yeah, a raspberry jam coconut slice. I think it was probably in my lunchbox every Mm -hmm. second week for probably 10 years or so. (laughs) It was alternating with a chocolate slice. So I've just had a real thing with having the three o'clock sugar craves for the last bit. So I decided to get a bit organised instead of sneaking off for a sneaky Fredo frog. (laughs) uh, At least I could have something a little bit nice and made it on the weekend and it's just been really nice to have through the week. It was a lunchbox staple for me as well. So, mum, if you're listening, can you make a batch just for old times' sake? (laughs) Rounding out Friday lights, a recommendation for a good pair of socks to keep your toes warm. And if you've ever wanted to learn to brandish a lightsaber, a woman called Michelle C. Smith is apparently the one to go to. I didn't think I ever really wanted to brandish a lightsaber until (laughs) I saw her. It's so cool. She's just incredible what she can do, her moves and the way the light reflects and, oh, it's just super cool. I think it might be my new calling. It apparently can be very meditative, she says. So I get that. Yeah. I totally get that. It's meditative, certainly, when you look at a million clips of it over and over again. (laughs) It's a bit zen-like, yeah. I'll put links to these in your episode notes as well. Or as always, you can find them in the Friday Lights section of the Squiz Today newsletter. Squiz the day or across the weekend. Claire, what are you keeping an eye on? State of Origin on Sunday night. That's being played in Perth. Queensland versus New South Wales. Come on the Blues. Come on the Blues. There's no bipartisanship here when it comes to State of Origin. (laughs) Today is Take Your Dog to Work Day. So... I'm assuming you'll be fronting up with Tucker a bit later, Claire. I'll have to ask him. He gets a say in these things, so (laughs) we'll see what mood he's in. We'll see. Stand by if you see him popping up on our social channels. That's all from us today. Have a good weekend and we will be back with you on Monday. G'day, I'm Kate Watson, co-host of News Club. News Club this week was an interview with Lauren Sams. She's the fashion editor at the Australian Financial Review. She's all over the business of fashion and retail, so I pulled her in to talk to us about fast fashion and ultra-fast fashion. In particular, businesses like Timu and Shein, who in Australia alone are on track to record more than $2 billion in sales. Here's a clip from that conversation. What is happening is that it's recalibrating fashion as a single-use item. Mm. So when you think about something that's 6 or $7, you know, 
my, I bought coffee this morning and that was $5.50. And that that's a single use item to me. You know, I, I have my coffee. Like actually is like, you cannot use that twice. No. <laughs> and so when you're talking about a dress, yeah. that's sort of an equivalent price. People equate it with something that doesn't need to be valued. Um, you don't need to wear it again. To listen to the full interview, just search for News Club in your podcast app and hit follow.